0: Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a God who hears and answers our prayers. And this morning, Lord, we ask that you would chase away the distractions of life of this past week and the week coming up. That we would be able to sit here in silence and hear the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts. Father, we pray that you would help us to see character of Jesus more fully, and as we behold it, may we become like it, we ask. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our theme Bible passage in our study together has been Revelation chapter 14 and verse 4, where the Bible gives one of the characteristics of the 144,000, those who are alive on earth before Jesus comes back, there are many characteristics of these people, but the Bible tells us specifically that they are people who follow the lamb wherever he goes. It doesn't matter where the lamb ends up, if it's in times of peace and prosperity, if it's in times of challenges and difficulty, the 144,000 are close behind the lamb as they follow him wherever he leads. Now, as we've been studying together, we have all made the decision that we want to be part of this group. Amen? Amen. And the Bible, or the Spirit of Prophecy, tells us in the Review and Herald, uh, April 12 of 1898, we need not wait till we are translated to follow Christ. God's people may do this here below. We shall follow the Lamb of God in the courts above only if we follow Him here. It is our privilege as God's children to be able to follow the Lamb here on this earth in this uh, time of Earth's history. And indeed, if we want to follow him in the courts of heaven above, we must do so here below first. And the question is, am I willing to follow the lamb wherever he may lead me? In our last study together, we concluded by looking at one thing that sustained Jesus as he went through this dark hour in his life. We looked at how Jesus went through the garden of Gethsemane. We found that as Jesus went into the garden, he went in depressed, as he went in with great anxiety, he went in struggling. He went in resisting what the Father's will was, in a sense, praying that the Father's will would be for the cup to pass. And as he went through that time of prayer, surrendering his will to the will of the Father, he went into the garden depressed and challenged. He came out of the uh, garden uh, with that depression lifted and calm and serene and ready to meet the devil's fury. Uh, In a sense, everything turned in that prayer in the garden, and I'm so thankful that Jesus stopped and had that prayer before that trial began. As we concluded our study together in our last uh, study two weeks ago, we found that one of the things that sustained Jesus during that dark hour was that he knew his father. What did he do? He knew his father. He had 33 years of walking and talking with his heavenly father. He knew his father so well, and he knew his father's will so well that although all of this Uh, terrible stuff was happening in his life. Although the storm of opposition had broken upon him, even though he was being cruelly treated by the mob, even though he was betrayed by one of his closest friends, even though religious leaders were mistreating him, all of this stuff was taking place. He knew his father so well that it did not drive him to let go of his hold on his father's hand. In fact, we read in the Bible together in uh, the Gospel of John, John chapter 17 and verse 3, where the Bible says, And this is life eternal that they might know thee. Whoops, did I go past it? There we go, that's it. And this is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God. What is life eternal? What is it? Knowing God. We read in Daniel chapter 11 how the Bible tells us that those who went through the hour of great trial, religious persecution during the 1260 years of papal persecution, that those people had power because they knew God. What was it that sustained Jesus during that time of his great trial? What was it that sustained the great saints of the Reformation uh, that, that sustained them during their time of trial as well? What was it that sustained these great men and women and Christ himself was that they had an intimate knowledge of their heavenly father? And it's the same thing that will take place in the crisis at the close. Those who will stand during this time of great trial will know their heavenly father, intimately. It's not a knowledge that you will acquire in the time of trial. It's not a knowledge that you will gain once you are in the crisis, but it's a knowledge that we must gain now and develop now so that it sustains us when that hour of crisis comes. But for some of us, we're too busy with the cares of life to invest in a knowledge that will see us through to the kingdom of heaven time for us to reorganize our priorities because life eternal is in knowing our heavenly father. We also discussed how God allows these trials and difficulties to come upon us because he, he allows it to happen for a demonstration to the world that there are people in the world who are faithful to God no matter what. There are people in the world who are faithful like Job was faithful to God, though he slay me, yet shall I trust him. That there will be people in this world who will go contrary to the devil's accusations in the great controversy, that they will stand in the midst of trial telling the world that God is just and willing, or uh, uh, rather that he should be served, even though the devil is saying something quite the opposite. Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 9 that we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. As I made a spectacle, I want the spectacle to be that others see Jesus in me. It's an important concept to get into our mind. Because when that tri- hour of trial and difficulty comes, we need to know why God allows these things to take place. Otherwise, we may be tempted let go of our Father's hand. We're in the midst of six trials that are taking place in the life of Jesus. We've looked at two already. There were three trials that were religious. Those three trials, the verdict was all guilty. There were three trials that were civil under the Roman government, and the verdict of all three of those trials was innocent. And so we're in the midst of this We've looked at two trials already, two religious trials, and in both of those trials, the verdict was guilty. This morning, we will look at the third trial, same verdict, and the first of the civil trials as Jesus stands before Pilate for the first time. In our last study, we've seen how Jesus stood before Annas, the ex-high priest, a great man who was respected by the religious community, but was unable to secure what was needed for the condemnation of Jesus. He was then hurried off to stand before Caiaphas. And as Jesus stood before Caiaphas, as Jesus stood before the promiscuous crowd that was in Caiaphas's palace, all of them were compelled that this man was the Son of God. They were convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit, but they pushed that conviction to the side and condemned Jesus as a common criminal. This morning, we will look at the story of Jesus standing before the Jewish Sanhedrin. Go with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. Luke, the 22nd chapter, we will pick up the story in the 66th verse. Luke chapter 22, we're going to pick it up in verse 66. Now, while you are turning there, let me give you a little bit of history. This, at this point in Jesus' trials or in the last few hours of his life, it is early in the morning, Friday morning. Thursday, Jesus had instituted the Last Supper, and then he went into the Garden of Gethsemane. He spent great hours there praying to his heavenly Father. Then the mob dragged him in the darkness of the night to stand before Annas and then Caiaphas. Then they held him for some certain time before the hours of sunrise happened. At this point, the sun is beginning to peek its head over the horizon as they bring Jesus in now to stand before the Jewish Sanhedrin. Well, Jesus stood before Caiaphas just moments or hours before. Caiaphas said, don't turn there, but in Matthew 26, verse 65, he hath spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witness? Behold, now we have heard his blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and said, he is guilty of death. You may find this interesting, but under the Jewish system of law, the members of the Sanhedrin were to have a secret ballot or a secret polling that would take place to find what the verdict was in a criminal trial. The reason for this was because they did not want men of higher influence to influence men of lower influence. And so they had a secret polling that would take place or a ballot that would happen where they would poll the people of the Sanhedrin and then finally compile the verdict. Caiaphas threw this to the wind and he used his influence to sway the people that were there in uh, in his palace to make this verdict of guilty. There are many laws that govern the Jewish Sanhedrin that were not followed in the trials of Jesus. And I will share a few of them with you this morning. Also, in this system of law, prisoners could not be legally condemned under the cover of darkness. But as Jesus said when he stood before Caiaphas, he said his teachings were always done in the light, out in the open. Everybody could hear what he had to say. But for the religious leaders, they had to work under the cover of darkness because what they were doing was contrary to the law of the Jews. This was not an official trial. That's why Jesus had to stand before the Sanhedrin. And this is where we pick it up in verse 63. Luke chapter 22 and verse 63, the Bible says this. And the men men, uh, that held Jesus mocked him and smote him. And when they had blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is it that smote thee? And many other things blasphemously spake they against him. Now, as I've already mentioned, this is happening, verses 63 through 65, before the sun has risen. Jesus has not been officially condemned by the Sanhedrin as guilty of death. Yet they are treating him as a common criminal. They are beating him. They are hitting him. They are jeering him. They covered him with a a, a cloth and hit him in the face. And White tells us that when they removed that cloth, some poor wretched man spat in the face of the Son of God, and he hadn't even stood before the yet. Demonic hatred filled these people as they mistreated the Son of God. And after this cruel treatment, Jesus is brought in for the highest ranking religious officials. And in verse 66, the Bible says this, And as soon as it was day, the elders of the people and the chief priests and the scribes came together and led him into their council, saying... Art thou the Christ? Tell us. And he said unto them, If I tell you, ye will not believe. And if I also ask you, ye will not answer me, nor let me go. Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then said they all, Thou Art thou the Son of God? And he said unto them, Ye say that I am. And they said, What need we any further witness? For we ourselves have heard of his own mouth. At this point, the sun has risen. This is an official trial taking place, yet all manner of laws have been broken. Let me share with you just a few. No trial, according to Jewish law, was to take place on a feast day or holy days. As you know, the Passover was just before them. According to some Jewish rabbi by the name of Isaac Wise... He says this, no court of justice in Israel was permitted to hold session on the Sabbath or on any of the other seven biblical holy days. In cases of capital crime, no trial could be commenced on Friday or the day previous to a holy day because it was not lawful either to adjourn such cases longer than overnight or to continue them on the Sabbath or holy day. The Jewish leaders were so bent on Jesus' destruction that they cast aside the laws that had been set in place to make sure that their courts of justice were just. According to Jewish law, it was said that the accused must have somebody to represent them, uh, what we might refer to as a lawyer, to represent their case. Jesus was standing alone here. His disciples had fled like sheep without a shepherd. Peter had just denied Jesus with cursing and swearing. John was hiding somewhere in the shadows, and all the other disciples had fled. Judas is just moments from hanging himself. There is nobody standing next to Jesus saying that he is an innocent man. Yet they condemn him as a common criminal. According to Jewish law, it was said that if somebody was given the death sentence that there was to be three days between the verdict and the sentence of execution. The reason for that three days was to make sure that every witness possible was able to come forward just in case they had falsely condemned a man. And according to Jewish law, on the second day of those three days, the Sanhedrin, every 71 members of the Jewish Sanhedrin was to fast and pray on that second day to make sure that they made the right choice. In the case of Jesus, this did not happen. As you know, the the, the, the guilty sentence had been given, and it was hours later that they were seeking the death sentence from Pilate. They knew that if they let those three days go by, that their courts would be filled to overflowing with dozens, if not hundreds, of eyewitnesses to what Jesus had done, and they would have lost their attempt to kill the Son of God. According to Jewish law, a criminal was never never to be condemned by his own testimony. Yet this is all the testimony that they had. There had to be multiple witnesses that that were interviewed individually before they could give the condemnation of death. Yet Jesus was condemned merely upon his own words. Brothers and sisters, what we see is this. There was no justice in the death of Jesus. And let me tell you something, brothers and sisters, in the last days, if you seek after justice, you will be sorely disappointed. There will be no justice for the people of God. There will be no justice for the sons and daughters of God. If they did not treat Jesus in a just and upright and fair manner, they will not do that to his followers either. Justice will be thrown to the wind. Hatred will be what takes place. And all that God's people will have to look forward to is what happened to Jesus. Yet it's interesting to me that we never find Jesus complaining about being treated in an unjust manner. Yet we have all manner of things that we complain about in our churches today. Am I preaching the truth? Brothers and sisters, listen to me carefully. If we can't get over the little tiny uh, offenses, they're not even injustices. They're offenses, and they're completely different. If we can't get over the little offenses that happen in our churches today, there is no way that we're going to be able to stand in the crisis at the close when all the world is treating us in an unjust unjust manner. Brothers and sisters, we need to develop some spiritual thick skin that's not so easily depressed and discouraged when things don't go the way we want them to. In the crisis at the close, nothing is going to go the way you want it to. Uh, The only thing that we will have to hold on to is the fact that knowing we are in the center of our Father's will. That's the only thing that will encourage us during that time. Jesus was treated in a cruel and unjust way. His followers will be too. Listen to what Ellen White says in the book Desire of Ages, talking about the religious leaders. She says, every feeling of sympathy or humanity had gone out of their hearts. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to stand before people like that. It all gone. And all that was, was in its place was a demonic hatred for Christ. That's what we have to look forward to. That's what God's people are going to be up against in the crisis at the close. And I ask you the question today, what are you doing to make sure that you will be able to stand as Jesus stood when that time comes? Who are you developing your time, or who are you taking your time to develop to know? Are you taking time to know God, or are you taking time to know the world? What is it that you are spending your time in to, 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 to gain knowledge of? When the crisis comes, friends, every knowledge in this world is going to be useless. The only knowledge that will sustain us is the relationship with Jesus that we have developed on a daily basis. When the verdict of guilty was given, listen to what happened. Desire of Ages, page 703. She says this. When the condemnation of Jesus was pronounced by the judges, a satanic fury took possession of the people. The roar of voices was like that of wild beasts. The crowd made a rush towards Jesus, crying, he is guilty, put him to death had it not been for the Roman soldiers, Jesus would not have lived to be nailed to the cross of Calvary. He would have been torn in pieces before his judges had not the Roman authority interfered and by force of arms restrained the violence of the mob. Listen, we have never experienced anything like this. If we can't maintain our hold upon God in relative peace and prosperity, there's no way it's going to happen in times like this. When every earthly support has been cut off and all the world seems to be after your death. Ellen White tells us that the heathen Roman officials were offended by the way the religious leaders were treating the Son of God. I want you to notice something again with me before we go to the next trial. Go with me to verse 69. Jesus is talking to the Sanhedrin here in answer to their question. He says this. Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. Now, I might be overlooked by some, but it's interesting to note that what Jesus said to the Sanhedrin was almost verbatim what he said to Caiaphas. When Jesus said these words to Caiaphas, it threw the high priest into a fit of rage. He stood up. He tore his clothes. He cried out blasphemy. And the crowd, as a result of the words that Jesus spoke to Caiaphas, they buffeted him. They hit him. They smote him. They covered his face, and they hit him in the face. They treated him in the most inhumane manner because Jesus said that to Caiaphas. Let me ask you a question. If you say something to somebody that causes them to treat you in an unkind way, are you going to say that thing again? Chances are you probably are going to shy away from saying that thing again because you don't want to be cruelly treated. But when Jesus was asked the same question before the Jewish Sanhedrin, He maintained his integrity, and he did not move a hair. He was consistent. He was faithful to what God had called him to do. He did not change his message. He did not change his tone. He did not change his commitment to God and what God had called him to do, but he maintained his faithfulness, even though Jesus knew that as soon as he uttered those words for the second time, the same thing was gonna happen that happened just moments before. He was gonna to be tore, almost torn apart. We just read how she said he wouldn't have made it to Calvary if the Roman guards hadn't stepped in and said, stop. These words angered the people, but Jesus spoke the truth and did not waver. As I was flying across the Pacific Ocean, I read a book entitled The Insanity of God. If you've never read it, it's an interesting read. It's about the persecuted church in persecuted parts of the world. I won't get into the details, but I want to share with you a story that I read. And there was a story about a man who was a pastor in communist Russia. He was arrested and put in a KGB torture camp just because he was a pastor. For six months, they had tortured this man in ways that I cannot mention from up front because it's probably not appropriate although the book goes into the details. For a year, that man's family never heard anything from him. For all they knew, he was dead. People didn't usually survive this torture camp. But one day, the wife got a phone call inviting her to come down to the prison to visit her husband. So she took her little boy, eight years old, by his hand, and she led him down to that prison, that torture prison camp. As they walked into the common area where the 1,500 prisoners that were incarcerated there were visiting their families, they sat there and waited and waited and waited for somebody to come and visit, for for this pastor to come and visit them. But he didn't show up. They were given one hour to visit with their family. And at the end of that hour, they saw some KGB prison guards with a, uh, with a, it looked like a sack of rags in their arms. They carried him across this common area and they walked up to this wife and this little boy and they laid this bundle of rags on the table. And as they pulled back the covers, they saw the emaciated and beaten body that was underneath those covers. And the form was so changed that the only way they were able to recognize that this was her husband and his father was his piercing blue eyes. That was the only way they were able to recognize him. For 12 months, that man maintained his spiritual integrity. He held firm to his father's hand and would not change one iota. He was faithful to God in the midst of persecution that pastor's little boy, eight years old. He leaned over and whispered into his father's ears. He said, Father, I'm proud of you. I struggle with that. I shed tears on the plane as I read that story. Will I be able to maintain my spiritual integrity in the crisis at the close? The only way I'll be able to do it is if I know my heavenly Father so well that he will be able to sustain me during that dark hour. Brothers and sisters, it's coming. I'm not trying to scare you. This is no scaremongering that's going on. This is a warning. It's going to happen. Times of peace are going to be taken away from us, and it will be under times of trial that we will have to learn the lessons that we should have learned during the times of peace. But I want my father to be able to look down upon me during that time of trial and say, son, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. I look forward to seeing you in the kingdom of heaven. We need to look to Jesus and hold firm the faith that God has given to us no matter what comes our way. Brothers and sisters, it's only going to get worse from here on out. When you feel that anger coming into your heart because somebody has wronged you, you need to pray and say, Lord, take it away because this is demonic. When you feel like you've been unjustly treated by somebody here in the church and you want to lash back at them, you need to pray and say, Lord, please take this demonic feeling away from me. I do not want to be possessed by the devil of anger. I want to be possessed by the the spirit of love. The devil is studying your character, and he's trying to find whatever way he can to keep you away from knowing your heavenly father in a way that will bring conversion not to your own life, but to the lives of people that God bring you in contact with. Now we see Jesus hastened over to stand before Pilate. John chapter 18, if you would go with me there. John, the 18th chapter. I'm sure that at this point, Jesus is very tired. He has gone through a lot. He has been cruelly treated. He has been beaten three times at this point. And he's only going to face more physical abuse. They hurried Jesus over to Pilate's judgment hall. And it's interesting in the book, Desire of Ages, we're told that the high priests did not go into Pilate's judgment hall because they did not want to pollute themselves. They didn't want to defile themselves by going into this heathen Gentiles palace because they wanted to be able to celebrate the Passover the next day. Ellen White says they didn't realize that the murderous, murderous thoughts and the acts of murder that they were just about to commit had disqualified them from partaking in the Passover. They were so blinded and possessed by the devil. They woke Pilate up, we're told, out of his sleep. And according to one Jewish philosopher, Pilate was a very vindictive and furiously tempered man. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not the type of person that I want to wake up in the morning. I don't want to be a criminal that has to stand before somebody first thing in the morning who has a bad temper. And we're told in the book Desire of Ages that when Pilate came in before Jesus, he had come in with the the mindset that he was going to make quick work of what needs to happen. He didn't want to linger around. He was going to give them what they wanted and move on. But when Pilate was brought into the presence of Jesus, something happened. In the Review and Herald, November 7th of 1899, it says this, Pilate looked at the man who had Jesus in charge And then his gaze rested searchingly on Jesus. He continued to look at him, for he could not do otherwise. Oh, that we would be like Pilate there, amen? That we would continue to look at Jesus because we cannot do anything else. He had had to deal with all kinds of criminals, but the countenance of the man before him Bore the signature of heaven, not of a criminal. Never before had one bearing such marks of goodness and nobility been brought before him. On his face, Pilate saw no signs of guilt, no expression of fear, no boldness, or defiance. Now, think of what all Jesus had been through up to this point. He had gone through three trials, a betrayal. He had gone through the garden at this point. He had been mistreated three times. And And she tells us that on his face, that Pilate saw no signs of guilt, no expression of fear, no boldness or defiance. He was calm, she says, and of dignified bearing. I want that type of peace in the midst of the storm, amen? I mean, it's just raging all around. Jesus is standing there in the presence of a group of people that's possessed by the devil, and he's come. I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, but God's got to do some work in my life. If I'm going to be able to stand calm and dignified in the last days when I'm in the presence of people that are demonically possessed and are crying for the death of God's people, the 144,000 who are following the Lamb wherever he goes, if I'm going to be able to stand at that time, the Lord's got to do some work in my heart. Life was of little consequence to Pilate. He had falsely condemned people many times but there was something different about Jesus. Notice what the Bible says in verse 29 of John chapter 18. Pilate then went out unto them, that is to the religious leaders, and said, what accusations bring ye against this man? Priests were incensed that Pilate would question their authority. They felt that by virtue of them bringing in their mind a condemned man before Pilate was reason enough for Pilate to just simply give them the death sentence. But you know, the religious leaders understood that if Pilate dug a little too much, that he would find out that there were not adequate accusations against Jesus and that they would have to let him go. And they did not want to explain any more. Verse 30, the Bible says, they answered and said unto him, if he were not a male factor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. They hoped to influence Pilate by their prominent positions to just simply give them the death sentence. But something was happening in the heart of that heathen pagan man. Verse 31, then said Pilate unto him, take ye him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. Pilate kind of puts them in a difficult situation. He says, Listen, if you've condemned him according to your law, take him and deal with him according to your law. But the Jews were not allowed to kill people, they were not allowed to execute the death sentence. They had to have Roman authority to do that. And Pilate was pushing them. He wanted to know, What are the accusations that you bring against this man? Pilate had stood before criminals. He had seen that look in a criminal's eye. He was well acquainted with a lawless man. And when he looked into the face of Jesus, he didn't see lawlessness. He didn't see selfishness. He saw the Son of God, and he saw the love of God in Jesus' heart. And it moved him to make the the inquiry, why bring ye this man before me? Well... Now that they're pushed, don't turn there, but just listen to this. In Luke chapter 23 and verse 2, we actually read the accusations that they brought against Jesus in Pilate's court. And they began to accuse him, saying, number one, we find this fellow perverting the nation. Number two, and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar. And number three, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. All three accusations were of no validation. They weren't backed up. They were completely unfounded. In fact, they tried to trip Jesus up just a couple of chapters before in the Gospel of Luke, trying to find some way to find political charges against him. You remember in Luke chapter 20 when they came to Jesus and they asked him the question, is it lawful for us to give tribute unto Caesar? You remember that question? They were trying to find some way to be able to politically condemn the Son of God, but they had nothing, so they had to fabricate a false accusation against the Son of God. What do you think is going to happen to us in the last days? Brothers and sisters, you better pray that God gives you an upright character that has nothing in it that could be condemned as lawless. Do you understand what I'm saying? When we come into the courts of law in the last days, it better be your character that they have issue with, not your past. And if there's past, if there's skeletons in your closet, you need to go make those skeletons right so that when you stand in the last days, that it's the character of God that they have issue with and that they find nothing in you that they can condemn you for according to the law. Verse 33. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him saying, uh, sayest thou these things of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee into, unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king? To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is the truth? Pilate Pilate asked Jesus a question, art thou a king? And this is what Ellen White says in response to that Desire Desire of Ages, page 727. She says this, Jesus did not directly answer this question, art thou a king of the Jews? He knew that the Holy Spirit was what? And he gave him opportunity to acknowledge his conviction. This is another conviction that's happening. He stood before Caiaphas. Caiaphas was convicted. He stood before the promiscuous crowd. The promiscuous crowd was convicted. He stands now before Pilate, and Pilate is convicted that this man is the son of God and Jesus consents that the Holy Spirit is working on the heart of Pilate and he wants to give Pilate the opportunity to acknowledge that conviction here's the fascinating thing to me in this fourth trial of Jesus Jesus speaks the most out of all six of his trials Jesus speaks the most to Pilate Some 90 words Jesus speaks to Pilate as he's standing there in Pilate's judgment hall because he senses that the Holy Spirit is working on this man. I don't know about you, but when I look at this, I think to myself, this is amazing. Jesus has gone through the Garden of Gethsemane at this point. He has sweat great drops of blood. He has been cruelly treated by the mob. He has gone through three trials, beaten three times, and now he's standing before Pilate, and he digs deep inside of himself, and he speaks words that could bring salvation to this heathen man. Do you think Jesus was comfortable physically at this point? Even though he was mistreated and uncomfortable, his body aching up all night long, Jesus steps outside of himself and he witnesses to this man who is under conviction. And I think to myself, if Jesus could do that feeling the way he did, why can't I share my faith with others when I am in complete comfort? Come on now, brothers and sisters. Now listen, I'm not trying to give you a tongue lashing or anything like that. But I want you to see how committed Jesus was to trying to save fallen man. That even though he was in the most uncomfortable position he had ever been in in his life, he still saw the Holy Spirit working on the heart of this man and he wanted to bring salvation to that man. And I think of all the times where I have slept a good night's rest. I think of all the times when I've had a full stomach of food. I think of all the times when I've been in perfect health, yet I couldn't share my faith. And then I look at Jesus, bruised, beaten, spit on, almost torn apart, falsely accused and mistreated, and there he is, thinking outside of himself. Oh, love, what wondrous love Jesus had for fallen man. As I was thinking on this this morning, the passage of Scripture came to my mind in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and verse 7, where the Bible says, talking about agape love, it bears all things, it believes all things, it hopeth all things, and it endures all things. That passage right there is fulfilled in the last 48 hours of the life of Christ. If you want to see what that passage looks like, look at that story. All things, everything that was thrown at Jesus, Jesus endured it. Everything that was thrown in Jesus at Jesus, he bore it, he believed in it, he hoped that Pilate, by chance, might acknowledge the conviction of the, of the Holy Spirit on his heart. He endured all things. Jesus went through this verse. He gave us an example of what it looks like in the most severe of situations. Yet, brothers and sisters, we can't even do this in times of peace and prosperity to our brothers and sisters in the church. We got some work to do in our prayer closets. We need to pray that the Lord will give us this kind of love, not only in our church, but in our home. Brothers and sisters, if we can't have this type of love, you are not ready to see the kingdom of heaven. You are not safe to be translated. Although you may share your faith, although you may believe in the truths of God's word, you are unfit to walk where angels walk if you don't have this experience that Jesus had. This is where it's at. Love beareth all things, it believeth all things, it hopeth all things, it endureth all things. This was the character of Jesus, and when he was brought into that time of trial and he was squeezed by all of those demonically possessed individuals, there was no evil that came out of Jesus' heart. All that came out was this. The Lord has has to do something in our lives before we're ready to go through the crisis at the close. Brothers and sisters, I want this converted heart that will be able to stand as Jesus stood. I want this converted heart that just oozes out the atmosphere of heaven wherever I go. I want this converted heart that brings conviction into the lives of people that I am brought in contact with as it was with Pilate and Caiaphas and the rest of the crowd. I want this converted heart How about you? May the Lord give it to us. May the Lord give it to us, and may he be the one that does it and not ourselves, for anything that we build will not stand the test of time. Let us pray. Father in heaven, as we look at the life of Jesus, there is just no way. There is no way, Lord, that we will be able to stand during the crisis at the close as we stand right now. We need some heart surgery done, Lord. And Father, we pray that as we lay out on the heavenly operating table and as you take away our stony hearts and do that heart surgery, Father, give us a heart that beats with the love of Jesus. Lord, please give us love where there is hatred. Give us kindness where there is unkindness. Give us, Lord, this experience of Jesus that others may see that we have a genuine faith and not an intellectual faith. Father, I pray that you will go with us from this place and that you will continue the perfect work that you have begun and that as we lay Helpless, surrendered to your will. And as we look at Jesus, for we can do no other, may we be changed into that same image we pray, that when that, when that crisis hour comes, we may be able to stand as Jesus stood, following him wherever he leads us. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the example in the life of Jesus. And thank you that we can follow him. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.